This is episode number 68 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the bi-weekly program, which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective, because unfortunately, no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. And unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted. Welcome to the program. As always, please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. And follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at Individual One Pod. That's Individual Number One Pod. Uh, Today we're going to begin with uh, an interview with one of the candidates who is running against Donald Trump for the Republican presidential nomination. He is a, a good friend of mine, former Republican congressman from from Illinois. And uh, let's get to him right now. Republican presidential candidate Joe Welsh, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, I mean this, John Ziegler. It's always an honor to speak to you and with you. You are one of the most principled, never Trumpers around. So it's good to be with you. Just one of? (laughs) Well, you you were you would be in the in the starting five, John, of the five most principled never-Trumpers. I appreciate that. And let's be clear, uh, you are doing this interview, much to my surprise, while literally driving to New Hampshire to campaign, correct? You got me. I got you. You got me on your podcast. I'm, I'm on my way to the campaign trail in New Hampshire. All right. Now, I want to talk to you about what's going on with your presidential campaign. Uh, but first, I want to get uh, your assessment of what's happening with regard to the impeachment process. And for those who may not be aware, uh, you're a former Republican congressman. So if you were still in Congress, you would be one of those people who uh, would be voting on impeachment. In fact, you would have already voted on uh, the nature of the inquiry. And uh, to be clear, you you would have voted in favor of uh, what the House uh, voted on last week, and you would have been in favor uh, at this point of impeaching the president, correct? Yeah, John, it's really interesting. If I were still in Congress, I would have been the only Republican yes vote about a week ago to approve the inquiry. Look, and by the way, I'd probably have a primary challenger by now as well. I I thought Trump should have been impeached based on what I read in the Mueller report. So this whole Ukrainian thing, him pressuring another foreign government to screw with our elections, it's just the cherry on top. Yes proceed with the inquiry, but we know enough now to know he deserves to be impeached. Now, Joe, I was, uh, I have very low expectations for people in general and politicians in particular and Republican politicians in the era of Trump even more particularly, but even I was a bit shocked that, as you've already referenced, there was only, I I actually count Justin Amash still as a Republican because he was elected as a Republican and he was forced out of the party because of his opposition to Trump. But putting Justin Amash aside, I was quite shocked and really disappointed that among the retiring Republicans in Congress, and there are many, and and these are people who you know appear to be people of principle. Uh, you know, my good friend, Democrat Congressman John Yarmuth, uh, says a lot of them are really good guys. These people who are retiring, and not one of them even voted to be in favor of the inquiry. Were you as surprised and disgusted as I was by that? Yeah, you know what, John? Here's the deal: this whole Trump era. It's like I'm not disappointed in Trump because we know who he is. He's a horrible human being 
who can't put America's interest ahead of his own. I'm disappointed in my former colleagues in Congress who know this about Trump, but they don't have the balls to say anything. I'm disappointed in all of my former colleagues on talk radio who know that Trump is a son of a bitch, but they don't have the courage to say anything. So, yes, you referenced the latest example. Even Republicans retiring uh, didn't have the, the decency and the courage to uh, vote to approve at least the inquiry. I, I think, John, a number of them, guys like Will Hurd, who I got a lot of respect for, I think they're all positioning themselves for a post-Trump Republican world. But so, so in other words, look at Nikki Haley. Look at Nikki Haley, John. Look how damn disappointing she was with what she said a couple days ago. Like there's nothing impeachable there. Shame on her. Well, for the record, yeah, the, the former uh, South Carolina governor and and ambassador to the UN. Uh, I think her argument was, and this is one of the more laughable ones, that uh, that because the the crime wasn't completed to its fruition, therefore yeah. you you can't give uh, Trump the death penalty. But by the way, I didn't, I didn't realize we were determining to end his life. Uh, we were we were trying to determine whether or not to end his presidency, as if those two things are remotely yeah. analogous. But but I agree with you that Nikki Haley was uh, was a huge disappointment, and I want to talk about that aspect in a moment. But I just want to make sure we're we're clear on these Republican congressmen because yeah. because again we're not talking about having voted for impeachment yet we're talking about just simply voting in favor of an inquiry and you're retiring so in theory you Trump has nothing over you and yet you still don't have the guts to just do the right thing and say you know what I'm in favor of this inquiry we ought to find out what the truth is uh, do you, have you gotten any indication from any of these people? I don't know how much you're still in touch with them that uh, that they felt forced into this, or this was not the vote they wanted to make. Uh, that, they're, 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 that they caved into political pressure. Is there anything in that realm that you can share with us? Yeah, the one thing I was told privately by a number of them, John, is that Kevin McCarthy and House leadership made the whole "you got to step up and be part of the team" pitch to them that Republicans have to be unified on on what they call the procedural vote. It's just a procedural vote. We all got to be on the same team. So I think that 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 push carried the day with a number of them. Still disappointing. Now, with regard to impeachment, um, and I'm obviously in agreement with you, and I, I agreed after the Mueller report that, that Trump should be impeached. I do believe that uh, if the allegations are proven, which I think they would be in a, in a reasonable trial, that he should be, in theory, removed, although I've never believed that was going to happen. But it has really been striking to see the Republican uh, attempted response to this. It's been very incoherent. It's been very inconsistent. There's been, there's, it, it's almost like everyone has just chosen their favorite uh, talking point here. I, get, I have a couple of questions for you in, in this realm, uh, Joe. What, what do you think is the dumbest or the worst argument that Republicans are using so far to defend Trump on impeachment? I think probably the dumbest and the most dangerous, John, is where they've kind of gotten themselves now, which is, okay, uh, he might have done something bad, but it's not impeachable. Uh, because deep down, John... I don't think they believe that. Even guys like my, my buddies, like Jim Jordan and Mark Meadows, 
Because when you really play that out, John, and you think about it, the, the President of the United States uh, pressured another foreign government to interfere in our election. And, and the Republicans are saying that that might be bad, but it's not impeachable. If that's not impeachable, then I don't know what is. I know they know that. Um, so to me, that's the worst argument they can make. But it's hard to choose because there, there are so many. And, yeah. and in fact, some are even going further than bad but not impeachable. Uh, Rand Paul is now saying that uh, the, the quid pro quo was a good thing. They, they, they ought to be saying there was a quid pro quo and that the president has every right to do a quid pro quo with a foreign government, even if it's for, for his own uh, personal benefit. Uh, I mean, doesn't that even go further than bad but not impeachable? Yeah, and by the way, John, Rand Paul would be in the starting five of the most disappointing Republicans out there this last year with Trump. Yes, th that notion that, and I, you know, a lot of them don't cling to this anymore, John, that, come on, that's the way we do it. It's like the Mulvaney, right? Uh, yeah, we always do quid pro quos. That's the way we do business around here, ignoring, you know, the substance of the quid pro quo. But again, John, I go back to this. From the very beginning, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know that any Republicans have made the argument or are disputing any of the facts or the substance of what Trump did. No, in fact, they're they're doing the opposite now to the extent that they have a coherent defense. It's now basically, hey, uh, yeah, this was actually good. He's fighting corruption. Of course, which is totally bogus, because uh, e even if you buy that uh, semblance of an argument, he didn't really even want an investigation of the Bidens or Burisma in, by the Ukraine. He just simply wanted them to announce that they were doing an investigation because of the political power that would that would give him in an effort to try to dirty up Joe Biden. So, I mean, the whole thing. It, 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 yeah, and, John, you had, you had one of my former colleagues uh, on one of the Sunday talk shows. Max Thornberry, who's retiring, who pretty much said, look, we can't impeach Trump for this because this is who he is. He, he's, he's said things in public that are as bad as he said on that phone call. I mean, I mean, think about what that argument is. That argument is we can't impeach him for being corrupt because he's corrupt all the time. It's who he is. And similarly, others are saying we can't impeach him for this because he's just being dumb, uh, like Lindsey Graham. And that's the he's just so dumb. Uh, he was too dumb to collude and he's just too dumb to uh, to engage in a quid pro quo. So we have a guy who is so corrupt, we can't impeach him so dumb. We can't impeach him uh, or by the or if you choose, uh, this was actually a good thing because he was supposedly uh, fighting corruption. Uh, and I mean, my, and, you know, from a uh, from a legalistic standpoint, my my least favorite argument from Republicans, and I'm sure you'll love this one, Joe, is somehow this notion that your former friends in the, in the Republican House caucus are, are trying to use that somehow during the impeachment in the House, the president yeah. has the right to meet his accusers and to be able yeah. to call witnesses. That's just totally absurd, correct? It's bogus bullshit, and Rand Paul knows it. And Rand Paul, John, keeps referencing the Sixth Amendment you know, ignoring the fact that that applies to criminal proceedings and not impeachment. You referenced Lindsey Graham. John, there's been nobody more pathetic than Lindsey Graham. I mean, Lindsey Graham is basically at a place where 
I don't care. I'm not going to look at anything or listen to anything. My mind's made up. I don't care what Trump did. And there will be others who will get to that place as well. Well, since you've mentioned, and we've, we've talked already about Rand Paul and Lindsey Graham, I'm curious, uh, is there a specific Republican that you believe has embarrassed themselves the most in this saga so far? I think Rand, and, it, and maybe you can refresh my memory, I think Rand Paul, uh, John, and mainly because I'm so disappointed. Like, where's the old Rand Paul? I voted for Rand Paul during the 2016 primary. Rand Paul, a libertarian, used to be a fairly outspoken proponent, like his father, for protecting whistleblowers. What Rand Paul, John, did a week or so ago, I mean, coming within a nanosecond of, of outing the whistleblower, the, the way that Rand Paul has just, you know, sucked up to Donald Trump, I don't expect much better from a Lindsey Graham, but it's been really disappointing with Rand Paul for me. And, and you mentioned the, the almost outing of the whistleblower, which my, my point on Rand Paul was, if you're saying it's okay to do it, Rand, then, then why don't you do it? Why, you, know, do what, it. Then, what, you know, why not? There must be something that's keeping you from doing it, which, of course, means that there's a problem, that it's not the right thing to do. And yet for him to, to, to raise the issue, provide cover for somebody else to do it, I thought was not just corrupt but incredibly cowardly. So I'm, I'm right there with you on that. But I'm curious, of the, of the many nefarious tactics that Republicans are using to try to obfuscate here and to try to confuse people with regard to what's really happening with impeachment. Is that the most outrageous tactic or statement that you have seen from a Republican? No, it's, it's mainly, John, it's guys like, and again, maybe it's the guys that I knew the best that I had the most respect for, uh, Jim Jordan. Uh, I, I, I know for a fact that Jim Jordan knows what Donald Trump did on that phone call was wrong. And every single time, John, he's, he's gone on TV. And other Republicans have gone on TV. And they've been asked a very simple question. Just hypothetically, guys, is it okay for the President of the United States to try to dig up dirt on a political opponent from a foreign government? Just answer that. And John, Jim Jordan was on with Stephanopoulos a couple weeks ago. He was asked that nine times. He couldn't say yes or no. The fact that these Republicans can't even hypothetically say it's wrong for a president to do that, uh, I find to be just incredibly disappointing. It's interesting to me that you've mentioned Jim Jordan because uh, you and I both uh, very vociferously defended Jim Jordan in this whole what I yes. believe to be scam Ohio State uh, story where NBC went well, after you've him. Well, you've done great reporting on that. Well, thank you. I, I do believe that we've proven that, that the whole thing is a scam and that it's obvious when it happened again this week, just as Jim Jordan is back in the news, that NBC comes up with yet another completely uh, unsubstantiated and obviously bogus claim against him. But I have to tell you, even though you know me well enough to know, I, I'll defend anybody even if I don't like them, if I think they're being unfairly attacked. There's part of me that wishes I had never gotten into this because because what you, because what Jim Jordan has done here is just it's just infuriating. And by the way, I guess my question here, Joe, is: Do you think 
that the two are related in that because Trump came to his defense and saved his ass last year in the midst of that Ohio State controversy, that he feels particularly beholden to Trump, and that's why he's diving on every hand grenade on behalf of Trump. Do you see that as I do? Yeah, I think that's a big part of it, John. I do, and that's part of what Trump does. He holds that over their heads, and um, he'll do something. He'll say something. He'll promote your book. He'll do something nice to you to just own you. But, John, the thing is, Jordan and these guys, they're smart enough to know that everybody's discardable with Trump. Trump's not loyal to anybody. And I go back to this, John. I mean, just pull yourself out of the forest for a moment. This country lived through two years of collusion, a collusion nightmare with Russia. And then immediately after that report comes out, here's the president of the United States colluding with the head of another foreign government. And Republicans cannot defend what he did. So Jordan and Meadows, they've made up their mind that they're just going to monkey it all up and go after the process and scream and charge into the skiff and, and just make a big mess of things because they can't defend what Trump did. John, glad you, you mentioned the connection between the Russian investigation and now this Ukrainian investigation, because to me, and I, I think you agree with this, but you can certainly correct me if I'm wrong, to me now, uh, the Ukrainian situation ends any doubt that there really was, at the very least, attempted collusion with Russia and makes me uh, look far more cynically on even Robert Mueller's, I believe, uh, very naive uh, allowing of Trump to get out of, of many situations where he was dead to rights, giving him every possible benefit of the doubt uh, in a very narrowly considered investigation. In, in, in other words, to me, the Ukrainian situation proves that the, much of what was suspected in the Russian investigation really was true, regardless of whether or not Robert Mueller could actually prove it. Do you agree with that assessment? Spot on, John. And maybe, ironically, the best thing Donald Trump had going for him was a guy like Robert Mueller, who played it uber-cautiously by the book. He had the goods mm -hmm. on Trump. But Robert Mueller is such a company guy that he didn't want to do it. Look, but it's all connected. I've said repeatedly, and I believe it, Donald Trump is a traitor. He's the most disloyal president we've ever had. In 2016, he did collude with Russia. He welcomed and encouraged Russian interference. Uh, and then he spent two years obstructing, trying to stop the investigation into that interference. And then here we are in 2019, he asked China to interfere, and in a very concerted fashion, he's worked the Ukrainian government to interfere in our elections. Utterly disloyal. All right, now before we go to your campaign against him for president, I just want to get your assessment of where you think the impeachment process is heading. Uh, you know, it's my view He's absolutely going to be impeached. It is no longer my view that there's going to be any significant number of Republican votes that will uh, vote to impeach him unless you count uh, Justin Amash. There might not even be more than one. Uh, and that when it goes to the Senate, uh, it's going to be a sham trial and that at most uh, there'll be Mitt Romney and maybe one or two other Republicans who vote to convict him. Is that the way you see things going? 
I suppose, John, if I were in Vegas putting money down, that's the most likely scenario. He will get impeached. It will be a partisan vote because I think you're right. In the House, the Republicans will not do what's right. Um, I began to think, though, John, two to three weeks ago that Senate Republicans could turn. I don't think Mitch McConnell's going to do a sham trial. Look, Mitch McConnell, more than anything, wants to protect his majority in the Senate. All you got to do is watch the polls, watch the polls, watch the polls. If Republican voters move on impeachment, Senate Republicans will move on impeachment. Mitch McConnell wants to get Cory Gardner reelected <laughs> almost more than he wants Trump reelected. Uh, so do I still think you're probably right? Yes. But I'll tell you what, if there are three or four or five Senate Republicans who vote to convict, if there's a majority of the Senate that votes to convict, man, that'll hurt Trump and that'll that'll devastate Trump. I think even though that I think even that scenario, though, is a big if. And I think what you also have to remember is that Mitch McConnell himself is running for reelection. And uh, and because of when this is likely to go down. You know, if McConnell doesn't handle this exactly the way Trump wants, Trump is obviously going to start uh, uh, tweeting about, uh, you know, how disloyal McConnell is. And uh, that might get McConnell a primary challenge. Uh, well, not that that would win in, in Kentucky, but it's, it might be enough to get him nervous. And more importantly, uh, I think McConnell knows that he has no shot of reelection if Trump uh, tells his cult to not show up. Uh, uh, well, wait a minute, though, John. When, that's an interesting point, and I don't offhand know when the Kentucky primary is. It's in. It's in. It's in. Usually, it's in May or. or uh, in fact, it's. Okay. I know. I know this because I used to live there, and the Kentucky Derby is always just right before it. So it's like usually mid-May, or early June, something like that. I don't know if, if it is if this time, you, but. Well, and John, then you know Kentucky pretty well. That's right. I mean, if if Mitch McConnell is an honest broker and has a real legit trial in the Senate, even if that pisses off Trump, would that hurt McConnell in a general election in Kentucky? Yeah, if 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 uh, the cult decides, you know what, we're just not going to sh- we're just not going to vote for McConnell. I mean, you know, he's not. Yeah, but he, I don't think I don't think Trump can do that in a general because Trump's going to need Trump's going to need Trump's going to win. Can, Trump's going Trump's going to win Kentucky regardless. I, I guess what I'm saying here is yeah. that, that Trump Trump holds a lot of leverage over McConnell in that McConnell is going to be in a tough reelection fight. Now, there's not a great candidate that's in the Democratic primary here. But as we just saw last week with with a Democrat winning the Kentucky governorship against an incumbent, Kentucky is a state where and McConnell has been vulnerable in the past. His personal approval ratings are terrible in the state. it, It won't it wouldn't take much. Uh, uh, of of Trump starting to separate himself from McConnell or 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 criticize McConnell for you know all it takes is five to ten percent of the Republican base to go you know what McConnell's not loyal enough to my God and uh, McConnell's toast I mean that that yeah. the, the margins here are small so uh, to me I think uh, Trump pretty much has McConnell by the short hairs now it, it, what I don't understand Joe. And I've had extensive conversations with my, my friend, Congressman Yarmouth from Kentucky, yeah. uh, about who has been a longtime uh, critic of McConnell, is what I don't understand is uh, why McConnell doesn't seem to get 
that, uh, and by the way, I'm, I'm correct in my, my uh, recollection, the primary for Kentucky is um, Tuesday, May 19th of 2020. So, okay. so, so there is some time there. Um, but anyway, uh, our conversations have always gone along the lines of, it's so strange that McConnell would have the opportunity in theory, right? In theory, if the Republicans in Senate went along with him, to stab uh, Trump in the back, instill Mike Pence as president of the United States, so you still have a Republican president, you still get your judges through for the next however many months, uh, and and you uh, you you eliminate a candidate who right now is getting clobbered by all the Democrats in a general election. Now, there would be blowback for that, but I am I am uh, curious as to why. I guess it's a lack of balls. But do you have a th- you know Do you see where I'm going with this? As to why McConnell wouldn't at least consider this scenario? Well, I think he should. <laughs> and and I be John. I don't. I mean, I don't think I don't think McConnell can just dismiss impeachment. Do you? And I don't think he can put on a sham trial. Well, uh, I think he's got to show a serious. A serious effort here. I don't know. I mean, if you if you go back to the only example we've had in our lifetimes, Bill Clinton's impeachment, Republicans yeah. put on a sham trial against a Democrat yeah. uh, because they were afraid of it because it was politically unpopular. I, I don't see. Here's maybe where we differ, and I've had conversations along these lines with, uh, with, with even some anti-Trump uh, media people who work for pro-Trump news organizations, which, yeah. is, which is fascinating. But you know, the, 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 there's some people who still hold out hope that Republicans are going to do the right thing. And, and I say, well, wait a minute. Um, there, there's a whole lot of reasons why that can't happen. And uh, and um, one of them is that uh, I don't think that we're ever going to get to this point where 60 percent of the American public is in favor of impeachment, because I think the impeachment numbers are in the process. And I think we've already seen it. They're hitting a brick wall. They're hitting that brick wall of Trump's 41, 42 percent approval. And there's no one within that 41, 42 percent that is saying, yep. He ought to be impeached and removed. So therefore, getting anywhere close to 60% is next to impossible. I don't know how you get beyond 51, 52% tops because, frankly, 5 to 6% of the people aren't even paying any damn attention at all and don't have a clue. Uh, and that might no, be- I, 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 Yeah, John, I, I agree. And this is not Watergate in that there's Fox News and there's talk radio and the 30 to 40% are just being fed all the bullshit that Hannity and all the rest give them. So so they don't even know the truth. They don't even know the facts. And I think as long as Trump has that Fox News, I I think he's probably protected, and he'll be an impeached president running for re-election. And, you know, who knows how that plays out politically, but I I, I think we're on the same page there. So let's talk about the fact that you happen to be uh, running against Trump for the Republican uh, primary nomination, and uh, and I, you know, I, we haven't spoken uh, since you and I met uh, here in Los Angeles just before you went on the, the yep. Bill Maher show. 
Uh, you and I spoke a lot before you decided to make this decision to run against Trump. Uh, we've had some interactions since then. Uh, we interviewed you once uh, since then. Uh, so I don't, I don't know what your temperature is uh, in your, your mentality, but I got to believe it's going to be incredibly frustrating to announce you're going to run against uh, an incumbent Republican president, have that incumbent president about to be impeached uh, yeah. rightfully, and still not be able to get the kind of traction that I'm sure that uh, in your wildest dreams you were hoping for with regard to polling and money and that kind of thing. Am I, am I accurate in that assessment? Yeah, John, so it's been about two months, and, and I guess the way to generalize it is the first month or almost month and a half, we got a lot of attention, and I was blown away by the attention. Not all of it good, but a lot of attention. And then you're right, impeachment hit, and impeachment now is the story. It's the elephant in the room. It sucks all the oxygen out of the room. I've talked to people involved with some of the Democrats, candidates for president, they can't get any attention. So that's made it very difficult. The positive is it's opened up more money and it's opened up more localized interest. But yeah, it's it's damn tough to get attention put on this race. Uh, even, it, it, I mean, national attention, like we'll be in New Hampshire a good chunk of this week. We'll get a lot of local attention in New Hampshire but nationally, the story is impeachment, plain and simple. So let's go through some of the components of a, of a, of a presidential campaign, and, and you give me your assessment of where you are in comparison to where you expected yeah. to be or where you hope to be. Uh, I know you got more attention early on uh, than, than you even maybe thought you would, um, and, and now you've already said that that, largely because of impeachment, that has waned. Has it also waned? Uh, because of the fact, and this is something you and I talked a lot about before you announced, uh, and and I was very strongly of the opinion that if Mark Sanford uh, got in and Bill Weld did not drop out or did not announce he was dropping out because he's kind of doing a you know a half-ass campaign as it is, yeah, uh, um, that that if you didn't have the stage all to yourself, that this might not be worth doing because. Having the three of you there prevents this from being a, a mano a mano situation and where one person gets all of the focus and the attention. Uh, and, and unfortunately, it's turned out that that is exactly what has happened. San Sanford got in. Weld has not. Uh, how much has the fact that there are three of you uh, hindered all of you uh, getting to the stature you would need to take on an incumbent president? Look, I, and maybe I'm like you on this, I think there should be one alternative to Trump. Uh, I got in this to win. I remember in one of our first interviews, you asked me why I'm doing it. I said, I'm doing it as crazy as it sounds, and as difficult as this is going to be, I'm doing it because I want to win. I think Trump's bad for the country. Um, I think it's going to work. It sort itself out, John. Look, uh, again, Bill Wells is a great guy. Love him, love him to death. He's a really nice man. Uh, I don't think he's running an aggressive enough campaign to be that alternative. I'll be straight honest with you. Mark Sanford has no business being in this race. He, he said he's not in it to win. He said if he loses, he'll vote for Trump if Trump's the nominee. Sanford has said all he's doing is just trying to get people to talk about the debt. I'm sorry. That's not serious. You don't run against Donald Trump because you've got concerns about the debt. 
So, I, I, yes, would it be better if there was just Joe Walsh in this campaign? Yes. But I think we'll get there. Uh, I don't think Mark Sanford is serious. I don't know how long he'll be around. And it's up to me, uh, John, it's up to me to separate myself from those guys. And that's what we aim to do. Now, there's been very little, at least that I've seen, uh, national or even uh, statewide uh, polling by the major polling institutes on on your race. There's been some where they put Trump against anybody else. And and yeah. even and even those numbers are really dismal because I think the last one I saw of that variety had anybody else within the Republican field getting only fifteen percent, and there's three of you guys. And by the way, when you say anyone else, that's you know that's in, in people's minds that's usually like Ronald Reagan coming back from the dead because uh, they imagine the perfect uh, candidate. Yeah, uh, and and so that's really the highest number you can get. Do you have any internal polling or any other indications of of where this race stands? And is it as dismal as the little bit of data that has been released by others has indicated? Well, we're going to be do, we're going to begin doing some polling this week. That generally, John, the polling that I've seen shows, yeah, about that. There's about a twenty to twenty two or three percent uh, that's not Trump in most of the polling, and generally I'm polling ahead of the other two, and, and our numbers have moved up. And i got to say this, John, uh, look, getting into this, I didn't have the name ID that even a Mark Sanford or a Bill Weld had. Uh, in almost all the national polls, even though the numbers are low, we're ahead of Sanford and Weld. So I think we're trending up, and in fact, Florida just did a poll of Hispanics in Florida. And we got like 15% of the vote, and Sanford and Weld each got like 3 or 4%. So, and, and don't forget, I, I was on the radio around the country for about three or four years. So I do believe that we're trending up and we're separating ourselves from anybody else in the race. But, John Ziegler, I agree with your main point. We have to get to the point where there is one single alternative to Trump. And I think that's going to happen uh, in and around Iowa or right after Iowa, because we're going to make that case in Iowa with a real strong showing. But and what, what would you consider to be a real strong showing in Iowa, Joe? I don't know the exact number, but I think coming out of Iowa, John, people have to look and say, oh, my God, Walsh got 20 percent of the vote. Uh, so that number, I think, should make people jump. And then the fact that if Sanford and Weld are still in the race, it's clear coming out of, out of Iowa that it's not all three of these guys bunched up at a certain number. It's Walsh is at this number, and there's clear separation between him and Sanford and Well. That's what we're going to do with Iowa. Well, I mean, I, I'd love to see you get 20% in Iowa, but I'm not 100% sure that would necessarily, you know, it would raise some eyebrows. Let's pretend you get 20% of the in the Iowa caucus, right? And you're clearly ahead of Sanford and Weld's not even going to show up in Iowa. Yeah. Um, uh, so let's pretend that that happens. And I, and I think that's optimistic, right? But let's just pretend, for sake of argument, that that happens. That'll by, the way, John, by the way, John, I will just say this. Again, uh, internally, it's not optimistic for me because we've, it, it, look, there's a lot that, and you know this, there's a lot that goes on in a campaign that you don't see. And so, like, because you don't see me on, on TV as much as you did a few weeks ago because of impeachment, 
We've got folks on the ground. I've been in Iowa often. We've got people on the ground in Iowa doing a lot of great things. But go ahead. Well, and that's great. But as you know, I'm a uh, I'm a devil's advocate guy, uh, and yeah. and and you know as well as anybody that the Iowa caucuses are a unique animal, and and yeah. and and what's and 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 this Trump phenomenon is a unique animal. And what you're going to be asking people to do is that on a cold night in February in Iowa, uh, they're going to yep. gonna have to go out uh, to their, their local uh, firehouses or their schoolhouses or whatever, or, or just even people, their neighbors' houses, and they're going to have to stand up in front of a Trump cult and set because that's who's going to show up for, for Trump. They're going to be Trump cultists, and they're going yep. to have to publicly want to say, I am voting for Joe Walsh, for president, and they're going to uh, somebody who they have no reason to believe can can win the nomination at this point, and they're going to and they're going to make themselves vulnerable to ridicule or worse by their neighbors. I'm sorry, Joe, you're not going to get the numbers that you think you're going to get because it's not you a normal to election. To, to make that happen, John, you've got to have an organization. That can help get these people out because they're there. But you don't have that. You don't have an organization like that, Joe. Yes, we do. We're the only Republican campaign on the ground. And I don't think Trump's doing much in Iowa, John. He's really not. But we're the only, I, I can tell you what, Weld has no organization in Iowa. Sanford has no organization in Iowa. I'm telling you what, we do. And this is what we've been working on because if I can't do well in Iowa, and separate myself from anybody else who's in the race, this campaign can't go on. And so I do have the organization. I agree with that. I think you're you're putting your 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 eggs in the right basket. I, I get it. I just want you to to as a friend of yours, I want you to be uh, realistic about what you're asking people to do. And and to keep that oh, absolutely and, and can keep that in your mindset because uh, and, you know, so maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I don't think well, I am. Way, either way, you and I, you and I will know because I was going to come. But that's that's the goal is to post a pretty okay. decent number that makes clear I'm an alternative so that we can take that momentum okay. to New Hampshire a week later. Okay. And I so let's take that 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 scenario, right? Let's pretend you get somewhere in the, in the realm of 20%. I think, by the way, I think 20%. Uh, would be a magic number. I think that would get people, especially, you know, if Trump's in the 60s somewhere and, and you're yeah. uh, above 20, it's a blowout, but that's, that, I think that people go, whoa, that, that's interesting. I, I didn't realize that right. there was a real uh, race here. And so right. I think that right. gets at least a conversation uh, started, but I still don't see, okay, how do you then take that and uh, and, and make it to where, uh, Trump is forced to debate you or, uh, you know, that, that somehow that other uh, 65, 70 percent of the Republican Party that, that would never uh, vote for someone other than Trump. How do you break that? How do you break that iron hold he's going to have on on the majority of the party, especially when there's no indication that he's going to lose? No one wants to go after the king unless they think they're going to be able to kill him. And so uh, so I, I don't see well, the, I don't John, see the scenario. But John, but John, but John, understand Trump's numbers with Republicans are getting worse. All the recent polling, Washington Post was about a week ago. I mean, 
70, he had a 74% approval rating, down from 89, I believe, among Republicans. 28% of Republicans thought he needed to be removed, impeached and removed. He's losing support among Republicans. So you post a good number in Iowa, and then you post a pretty good number in New Hampshire, and Wells going to stick around in New Hampshire, so we'll split a decent vote. And then you go to Super Tuesday a month later, John. Remember, the Trump team eliminated the primary in South Carolina, and the, I think it would have been a new primary in Nevada. Um, South Carolina is a strong Trump state. So now we can't do anything in South Carolina. So we then immediately after New Hampshire, we focus on Super Tuesday states like Colorado, like Texas, like California, like Massachusetts, a number of states where Trump's numbers among Republicans are bad. And so we've got a chance then to fight and pick up some delegates and make things interesting a month later in some of the Super Tuesday states. Okay, but in order to even have a theoretical shot at that, you're going to have to have a, a significant amount of money. And um, and so that's my well, next... Well, we will get on the ballot. We will get on the ballot in all of those states before Christmas. You're sure about that? Oh, positive. That's what we're engaged in right now. And those deadlines begin this week. And they're over by mid-December. So you, so to, just to be clear... We'll be on the ballot in every state that we can be on that hasn't canceled the primary. And, and to be clear, South Carolina has officially... Can, I didn't know that that was official. I thought that that was in the works, but I didn't know that that, that actually... South, Car- South Carolina, Arizona, Kansas, Nevada, and you heard what Minnesota did a week ago. They're keeping their primary, but they're only allowing Donald Trump's name on the ballot. So those six... <laughs> <laughs> Those six states. And by the way, we're suing in Minnesota. There is a lawsuit in South Carolina, and there will be in Arizona. All right. So all of this, though, you need money. Uh, you need a lot of money. Uh, yeah. How has fundraising gone in comparison to what you expected or hoped for? Disappointing. Can't tell a lie. That's my fatal flaw. I can't tell a lie. Right. Um, Republican, big-time Republican donors, the ones I've approached, the ones who always give, have all said the same thing to me. I can't stand Trump, can't stand the Joe, I can't, I can't cut a check. Uh, it, it's the same reason, John, it was difficult to find certain people to work on the campaign. The consultant class, I can't stand Trump, Joe, but I want to stay in the business. So, yeah, we've run into to, uh, you know, walls when it comes to raising money, and so we've had to be really creative, be really grassroots, and that's what we've done. Along those lines, uh, before I leave that, it's been disappointing. Uh, I mean, catastrophically disappointing, like way below your expectations. Uh, I mean, no, 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 I'd say below, not way below, below. Um, Do you feel, do you feel, Joe, do do you feel, Joe, that in general, and fundraising is a big part of this, do you feel as if, you were given a an unrealistic uh, set of expectations by the people who wanted to get you into this race, and not, not nefariously, but just because they were overly optimistic. Do you believe that the the presumptions that were made when you decided to get in this race were overly optimistic in certain ways? No, but I will say this, John: there there there's there are a lot of never Trumpers out there. And there are a lot of principled conservatives out there who wanted and want somebody to challenge Trump. I've been disappointed in the number of never-Trumpers and conservatives 
who have not opened up their checkbooks. That's been disappointing. It's my job to make that case. But all of these people around the country, John Ziegler, who've been crying and screaming for somebody to get in there, somebody to get in there and make case against Trump, uh, well, okay, somebody's in there, so cough up some money. That that that's what's been disappointing. Yeah, and I, I'm unfortunately I'm not surprised by that. I I do think going back to this uh, Sanford and Weld issue that that does not help because I think psychologically, if you're the only alternative, not that they're giving money to Sanford or Weld, but that it just I think it's a subconscious thing that uh, you know when you have too many choices, you tend not to make any choice, uh, especially one that could be uh, politically damaging to you, like putting your name in an FCC FEC uh, data bank, having uh, you know having contributed against the king, uh, against the the cult leader, and therefore now Trump has your name. Uh, I mean that that's that's yeah, always- even I'm, I'm talking I'm talking about people, John, who who don't care that the cult leader knows they gave money to Joe Walsh. It, 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 there are a lot of principled conservatives who just haven't given money to any Trump challengers. And look, the, the case is clear. I mean, I've been on the TV with Sanford. I've been in some debates with Sanford over the last few weeks. Look, as far as I'm concerned, he's not a serious candidate. And, mo- and, and all the never-Trumpers know that. If, if you say that you're still going to vote for Donald Trump if he's the nominee, and that's what Mark Sanford has said, I'm sorry you have no business primary in him. In that case, Sanford said that. So if you're a principled never-Trumper and you want to beat Trump, the guy to give money to is Joe Walsh. Now, the last time you and I uh, spoke when we met in, in Los Angeles, you and I uh, and your campaign staff had, had talked about uh, this idea I had for some viral, hopefully viral videos that go after Trump in a, in a humorous way. And it seemed like you guys were all very enthusiastic about this. And then I never heard a damn thing back from you on it. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious as to what the hell happened there. Stay tuned. That's all I can say at this point. Stay tuned. <laughs> well, stay tuned. I, can't say I, can, I cannot say anything more at this point, John Ziegler. But yeah, look, we got as you as you have mentioned when you and I have sat down. Part of what we have to do here is be creative, not just in how we raise money, but in how we get attention and make the, the attack against Trump. You've got some great ideas along those lines. There are a number of ideas like that that we're going to explore. John, we still got we still got time. I mean, we got ninety some days to Iowa. I've only been in this for two months. We we've got time. Yeah, but I would have thought that I would have gotten at least some follow up. <laughs> it's been it's been like six or seven weeks, and you never even say, "Hey, Zig," you know. You never told me on a text to stay tuned. I had to I had to set up an interview for you to do that. <laughs> Stay tuned, John Ziegler. Stay tuned, my friend. I mean it. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate you letting me know that. Uh, look, I mean, I you know, I, I wish you the best in all this. I, I, I am, I'm, I I'm, I'm a realist, um, and I, I think you're, you know, and I nobody uh, is in favor of a uh, of a principled stand that is a long shot than I am. I mean, I, I, I get it, uh, and I know that you're realistic about this too. But I also want to make sure that there's somebody at least somewhat close to you who's willing to say, you know what, Joe, uh, this might be too optimistic because I don't want to see you get hurt personally. So that's kind of, 
You know, one of the no. one of the things I think I, yeah. I bring to the table here. <laughs> no, and, and John and John, I get that, and I I do know that about you. And you and I talked about I think mid to late summer. Look, this is a difficult thing to do. Is it a long shot? Hell yes, but it's an important thing to do. I gave up a lot to do this, um, and, and it's, it's so so. It means a lot to me. Uh, to just do what's right, but I've got good people on working on this thing as well, and and we'll get some things done. And just to be clear, uh, I think I know the answer, but I need to ask the question anyway. As of this point, based upon what you now know, having you know been in the reality of this for about two months, are you yeah. are you still glad you made the decision to jump into the race? Oh God, yeah. As difficult as this has been, John, yes, because it needed to be done. Um, and, again, the important distinction here is Trump's unfit. He's a danger to the country. Nobody else, John, I mean, some candidate needed to say that. Bill Weld isn't saying that. Mark Sanford doesn't say that. Mitt Romney wouldn't have said that. John Kasich, nobody else got in. Somebody needed to get in. And as you and I talked about, I'm a pretty good name, but there were bigger, better names than Joe Walsh. But nobody was willing to get in and say that. And so finally, how can people find out more about what's going on with your campaign and contribute if they they so choose? Money, everything, go to JoeWalsh.org. JoeWalsh.org. We appreciate any and all support. All right. Well, Joe, um, stay safe on your travels to New Hampshire. <laughs> Have fun there. <laughs> and and as always, we appreciate your time, and uh, please keep in touch. Keep doing what you do, John Ziegler. Thanks, man. In the remaining moments we have on this episode of the podcast, I want to go through some of the uh, most recent news stories of note. You know, in any other presidency, it would be extraordinary. Extraordinary. Be, I mean, unprecedented. It would be all anyone would be talking about that uh, after the president got elected, he settled a $25 million lawsuit over his fraudulent university, all right? Trump University, you remember that? It was amazing. It was the first indication to me that we were no no longer uh, in Oz, that we were living in Alice in Wonderland, when, while that was a big story, it, it really didn't impact anybody uh, and here's $25 million. I, I think part of it is because people think that $25 million to Trump is not a big deal. It is a huge deal to Trump. $25 million to Trump is, is a huge deal. And it was the admission of guilt that his university was a fraud. So here we were, we were, we were inaugurating a president of the United States who was acknowledging to the tune of $25 million that he had created a fraudulent university in his own name. You cannot be serious. Well, similarly, this week, the Trump charity, I think it's called the Trump Foundation. I don't even know exactly what it was called. But the Trump charity, in a similar situation, came to a $2 million settlement where they had to pay, uh, I think that money is technically going to charity, because uh, of uh, the fraudulent nature of the Trump charity itself. And the allegations here were horrendous. They would have been career-ending for any other politician to to run a bogus charity, just like you run a bogus university. Uh, But this is going to be one of those things that will be forgotten by next week. 
because that's the world we now live in. I mean, it's just unbelievable. It's just flat out ridiculous. But this is who he is. He runs fraudulent universities, fraudulent charities, and then spends much of the 2016 campaign claiming that the Clinton Foundation is the real fraudulent charity that was involved in that election. Classic Trump projection. Correct. That's exactly what Trump does. This is his number one go-to tactic in any situation. Claim that your opponent is doing what you are actually doing. Attack them for a vulnerability that's actually a vulnerability of yours. And on this charity issue, that's exactly what Trump has done. And he's going to get away with it because we are so damn desensitized. Correct. We, there's nothing now. Nothing. We're like all drug users. All drug, you know, all the, 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 the news junkies literally are junkies now because we are so desensitized. We are so bombarded with new and shocking information. The news cycle is 15 minutes long now uh, that this will have no real impact. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, but, and in fact, Trump actually put out a statement. This is another classic Trump move, claiming that this was a positive thing that he was doing. That's right. And I'm sure his cult was buying that, too. I love the poorly educated. But it's just amazing. It's just utterly amazing. Um, also this weekend, Trump finally found a sporting event where he could get cheered after being roundly booed at a baseball game at the World Series in Washington, D.C., and at a uh, ultimate fighting event at Madison Square Garden in New York. College football in Alabama was a much more hospitable place for Trump. Now, there were some Trump protests. Of course, they also had to put out a statement that people would lose their season tickets if they protested Trump. That's how pathetic it is. Trump even retweeted that. The President of the United States retweeted the threat by the Alabama student organization saying that if anyone protested the president, they would lose their tickets. Now, that's like Saddam Hussein stuff. That's, that is not the behavior of a normal president of the United States, you know, in a country where we supposedly cherish free speech and that uh, peaceful uh, protest is supposed to be promoted. Uh, you know, instead, uh, we now have situations where we must protect the the king, the cult leader, and he was, in fact, cheered. But that doesn't surprise anybody because it's not just Alabama. It's college football, which is a different uh, crowd than a baseball crowd, different crowd even than an ultimate fighting, especially in New York City. If Trump isn't getting cheered at a football game in Alabama, he's got really, 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 really big problems. Correct. Uh, and that did not uh, happen. Uh, and interestingly, Alabama lost the game. So some people are trying to claim this is all part of the uh, – the Trump curse, uh, their first uh, loss at home in 31 tries. It's also interesting when you talk about Alabama that this week, Jeff Sessions, his former attorney general, I mean, the Jeff Sessions, I've mentioned this many times before, the Jeff Sessions narrative is unbelievable. It's unbelievable that it gets so little attention that Jeff Sessions, the former senator from Alabama, who was Trump's First major political endorser during the campaign. He gets hired as attorney general and he properly recuses himself from the Russian investigation and he gets crapped on by Donald Trump constantly for no other reason than he wouldn't act 
act as Trump's personal lawyer rather than the attorney general. And he then he gets fired the day after the 2018 election so that no one's paying attention. It's an outrageous act that I believe is obstructing justice. And in fact, I know it was obstructing justice because we now know that Bill Barr, the guy who replaced him, his number one job was to mute the Mueller report, which he went out of his way to do. He lied to do it, and he was effective in doing it. So the only reason Sessions got fired was because he had recused himself from the Russian investigation and that Trump needed, because he knew Mueller was coming down with the report, he needed his own man there to do the blocking for him. And that's what Bill Barr did. Well, now Sessions is going to run for re-election, well, not re-election, but to be re-elected again in Alabama, and he's kissing Trump's ass. And Trump, so far, has apparently put out the word to say nothing, good, bad, or indifferent, about Sessions and just let the chips fall where they may. So that'll be a fascinating Senate race to see uh, in, uh, in Alabama. But, I mean, my God. It's amazing. You can crap on and fire a guy in a way that, again, I believe in itself is an impeachable event, an uh, event, and Jeff Sessions will still kiss his ass simply because he wants, at a very old age, one more bite of the apple to get back into the U.S. Senate. My God, people are pathetic. Uh, and Jeff Sessions certainly is in that category. Trump just brings out the very worst in everybody. It's it's really remarkable. By the way, Bill Barr apparently is no longer Trump's favorite, at least not uh, this week, because he Trump is upset at Barr. This has been widely reported with numerous sources. Trump has denied this report, which, of course, means to me, oh, it must be true, because that's the way Trump works. Correct. Uh, you know, and he, he dusted out protest too much. He tweeted numerous times that this was a bogus fake news story. But apparently Trump is upset at Barr, get this, for not holding a press conference saying he did nothing wrong in the Ukrainian uh, phone call. Uh, which is just unbelievable. I mean, it's just so bizarre. If Barack Obama was ever uh, reported as having told his attorney general uh, to hold a press conference exonerating him in a situation where he was about to be impeached properly for an obvious abuse of power, the right-wing media would melt down uh, 24-7. Fox News alert. Heads exploding. Setting themselves on fire in front of the White House. But instead... Silence, crickets, nothing. And it's because we're so damn desensitized and because the state-run media is so in the tank. As far as what's going to happen in the, in the uh, foreseeable future with regard to impeachment, this week we're supposed to get public hearings. As I've said with the transcripts, and I correctly predicted this in a column I wrote last week, the transcripts do not matter because people don't read and they're not dramatic enough and they don't involve anyone we consider to be a celebrity. You have to have a celebrity, especially when it's television's turn to, to, uh, to get involved here, which is apparently going to happen this week. I don't know how much coverage these hearings are going to get because, you know, they'll be on the cable news networks, except maybe Fox News Channel, but I don't think they're going to get a lot of coverage of any on the, on the major networks, and I don't know how much news coverage they're going to get because all we care about is celebrity. And the only celebrity I can think of that's going to be potentially involved here is John Bolton. Now, Bolton is sending all sorts of 
conflicting signals. It seems like he wants to testify, but he did not show up when he was asked to testify. His lawyer says he has a lot of information. He's apparently writing a book, which seems, you know, inconsistent with the guy who's not showing up to testify. Uh, But if Bolton were to testify publicly uh, on television, I think every network would carry it. uh, And I think it would have some impact. I don't know if we're ever going to get there. I don't think, by the way, that he would have the power to bring Trump down like some people are hoping, but I think it would have an impact. But but short of that, there's too many pieces to this. This is a, a mosaic that requires too many people who are unknown to to provide details that, frankly, are beyond the comprehension of the average American who's a moron. Let's always remember that. I love the poorly educated. And who doesn't have the time or the inclination to get into the details. So I am not at all optimistic that uh, we're going to see any major sea change going forward. But, of course, I'll be uh, carefully watching it and reporting it uh, for you uh, via this podcast. Uh, As far as the politics are concerned, the the biggest alleged development this week was that Michael Bloomberg, the former mayor of New York City, has claimed that he is considering getting into the Democratic presidential race. Now, this got a lot of publicity because it fits into a lot of biases by the media. Number one is anything that's New York related, the media automatically always overblows because they think New York is the center of the whole world and nothing else but New York actually matters. So uh, they think that Bloomberg is inherently a big deal. Now, in theory, he is because he's got a lot of money like way, 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 way more than Trump does. And so therefore he's inherently potentially a a threat and could make a late run because money changes everything, as I, as I think uh, Cindy Lauper once said, but I digress. Uh, the, the reality is that Michael Bloomberg is not going to be the Democratic presidential nominee. He's a former Republican, alleged moderate, who on economic issues is way, 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 way outside of the mainstream of the Democratic Party. And uh, he doesn't have nearly the same uh, cachet outside of New York City uh, that he does there, or even name recognition. Uh, and I don't even know that this is a real run. In fact, the details we're hearing is that his strategy would be to skip the first four primaries and caucuses, Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina, and then make a run. Well, I'm sorry. Uh, You're going to start off at a very small percentage in the national polls. You're not going to show up for the first four races, which means you're irrelevant and whatever numbers you had are going to even go down from there. And then suddenly you're going to jump in. Now, I I guess in some delusional view of what's possible, I guess that Bloomberg might be counting on, okay, after the first four, assuming this is even real, this might just be a lark. This might just be an ego move. This might just be a, a trial balloon. It might not be very serious, but Pretending that it's serious for a moment, the theory could be, okay, add to the first four, then the field is now all whittled down. And it's going to be whittled down probably to four people. Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and Pete Buttigieg. And 
assuming that, and it might not even be Buddha Judge, but that but the Buddha Judge presumes that Buddha Judge is going to either win Iowa or come in second in Iowa, and then that's going to catapult him into the the top top tier. So there's you're either going to be three or four people after those first four uh, Democratic primaries and caucuses, and I think. In theory, Bloomberg might be saying, well, at that point, it's going to be obvious that we don't have a viable candidate, someone that uh, can really be counted on to beat Trump because, you know, Biden's too shaky and the other three all have major, major theoretical problems. And he would have the money then to run an instant uh, Super Tuesday campaign. I think that in theory... That's somewhat plausible, but it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen in reality. And in my instincts are that the Bloomberg thing is a media blip uh, that is not going to amount to very much at all. Uh, I'm going to keep the percentages that we end each podcast on uh, the same as they were last week because I don't think there's been a major uh, reason to change them. So I'm going to keep at 12% the chances of uh, Donald Trump not finishing his first term in office and at uh, 42% his chances of being reelected. Although I will say that if Bloomberg were to be a real candidate, I think that would actually help Trump because it would help Warren, because it would take away uh, some of Biden's support, some of Buttigieg's support, and uh, and Warren, I think, would be in a much more uh, tenable position. So if the if the Bloomberg thing turns out to be real, then that re-election number would actually, I think, go up, even though if it was ever Bloomberg versus Trump, I think Bloomberg would probably beat Trump. I mean, it would be, I'd have to see some more data on it. There's some initial data indicating that Trump uh, would lose nationwide, but would he lose in the Electoral College where it matters? Who knows? Uh, but I don't think Bloomberg's ever going to be the nominee, so it doesn't really matter. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Individual One Podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. Until next time, my name is John Ziegler. This is the Global Story Network.